Good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to uh, share with you today uh, those things that God has put on my heart. Uh, we're in the third uh, message in the sermon series, Everyday Faith. And today we're going to be talking about the Word of God. And uh, not just the Word of God, but the application and the importance of the application of the Word of God. This series was really designed to help connect you, to help connect me, help connect us uh, from a Sunday faith to an everyday faith, to help us move from religion to a everyday relationship and to help us move from a private inward faith to more of an action-oriented faith. We've been using Hebrews 11.6 as the primary scripture uh, for this series. And that says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I have to share with you that, um, that this season that we're in um, has been a test for me. It's been a challenge of my faith. Not my faith in that whether I believe or not, but in my faith as to where my dependence is. Um, when things like self-reliance and self-sufficiency and security and routine are all removed, at least from my life, uh, it, it, it challenges us and it challenged me in this. And, and it, it made me realize whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the political, societal uh, unrest, uh, it reminded me once again of the uncertainty of life. But on the heels of that, I was also reminded and have been constantly reminded of the certainty of God, that God's truth and promises are sure and steadfast. So let's get into this morning's uh, study with this statement. Everyday faith is applying God's truths and promises for his glory. I think most of us would agree that the Bible, God's word, has been given to us as a written revelation of himself. It tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, these days that we are in, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus, who's God in the flesh, is the complete and total revelation of the triune God. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is his story. I also think that most of us would agree that spending time, for the believer, that spending time reading God's word and understanding God's word uh, is very profitable in the life of a believer. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we see the value of reading the text and learning to interpret what God is saying through it is critical in the life of a believer. But there's one more equally critical step. It's a necessary step that if missed can result 
in us becoming puffed up. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And scripture speaks against increasing our knowledge without the correct application of that knowledge. So truth without appropriating that truth is useless. The Apostle Paul uh, equates this same thing to a noisy gong or a clanging bell. And uh, having a head full of knowledge, but a heart devoid of action on that knowledge. Jesus condemned the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time for that very thing, for having a head full of knowledge, but a heart that was devoid of action. So what we see is that application, application of God's truth and promises is the final step that validates and completes the study and the understanding of scripture. I wrote this quote and I think it's important to set the stage for what we're gonna talk about this morning. It says this, God's word, his truths and promises are the guardrails and the compass that point to the destination. The destination, the goal is Christ-likeness. The journey in life is transformation through the application of God's truths and promises. That we should be changed into the image of Christ, that his life would be manifest in us and through us that we might bring him glory in the world. So we can see that it's the application of the truths that make us effective as believers, that make us a witness to the world, that identifies us as his people. The Apostle John uh, talks about this in, in, uh, in 1 John, and he calls this very thing about application, he calls this practicing righteousness. He says that we should, as believers, be practicing righteousness. In fact, he goes to the extent of saying that that is the proof that you are in a genuine relationship with Christ. That's the identifying mark for a believer. And we see Jesus illustrate this very well in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. As he, uh, uh, during the meal, he stands up, he, he, puts, out his, he puts off his outer clothing, he, he clothes himself with a towel, and he washes his disciples' feet. And when he was done, he asked the disciples, what I believe is a rhetorical question, he says, do you know what I have done to you? And again, uh, I don't believe he was expecting a response. They were, uh, as we are many times, they were a little bit thick-headed and it took them a while to get stuff. But he says, do you know what I've done to you? And he wasn't talking about the act itself, but he was talking about the why behind the act. He, go, he wanted to say, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus was teaching his disciples that the application of the truth is where the rubber meets the road. It's where truth moves from the theoretical to the practical. I've heard this said many times, a Bible open for observation and interpretation without application is simply a decoration. It's useless without the application part of that step. Now, I will tell you this, the enemy of our souls would love to have us believe that it's the accumulation of knowledge that is the key, that knowledge is power. Um, and the truth is knowledge is important, but knowledge without application, again, is useless. It's ineffective in and of itself to move us closer to where God wants us to be. It's ineffective in equipping us to be uh, an effective instrument for his kingdom. Maybe a good example would be if you drove down to Phoenix and you had a scheduled flight to, to wherever, name it, Florida, 
and the pilot was greeting you at the door and was bragging about about his academic uh, studies and how he, he aced all of his classes. He got straight A's. He was in the top of his class. And when questioned, uh, you might say, well, Captain, um, how much experience do you have? How much flying have you done? And he, and, and he might say, I haven't, I've done none, but I've studied it. I've really got the knowledge in my head. I haven't applied that knowledge. I wouldn't get on that airplane with that guy. A head full of knowledge, but with no application. So again, uh, this quote says, our life as a Christ follower must be defined with a bias towards action, an action that results in applying God's truths and promises. So uh, if you have your outline today, we're going to jump into the outline. And, and let's first consider uh, from your outline some of the heart conditions that are necessary for the correct application of God's word. Uh, number one in your outline says God's word is our manual for practicing righteousness. We must have, we must have, number one, a changed heart. We must have a changed heart. Uh, and again, that's the first and most obvious necessity is that you belong to Christ. Spiritual awakening always precedes spiritual appetite. Without a personal relationship with Christ, we can't discern God's truths and promises. We have no idea what those things mean if we don't have God's spirit in us to give us that understanding and discernment. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Many, many, many people have filled their heads with the truths and the promises contained in God's word and yet have never had the power to appropriate those truths without God's spirit residing in them, giving them that discernment and that understanding. Again, Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So if you're watching this today and you're struggling to understand truth, if you're struggling to apply God's truths and promises to your life, and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that now. Um, it's, it's a profound but simple thing in simply admitting that you're a sinner and that, that uh, you can't save yourself and that you need Christ, God in the flesh. Uh, uh, you need his forgiveness. You need to accept him. He will forgive you. And th at that point, it tells us in scripture that God will give you a new heart and his spirit will indwell you. And he will give you the power to have the victory, to have victory in your life, to be able to understand what he wants us to do, understands his truths and promises and apply those uh, in our lives. If you've already made that decision, uh, and, and you're walking with Christ and yet you're still struggling with that. You're still struggling in those areas, which we all have some struggles in those areas. Ask him to help you to crucify your flesh, um, to show you those things in your life that are preventing you from hearing from him, to reveal to you the things um, that, that aren't pleasing to him. And scripture tells us that as Christ followers, um, that he's already changed our heart and he will continually change our heart and continually strengthen us and encourage us as we walk with him. It's a process in our life. And so, uh, and a process that he's continued, or he, he will continue to support us in and walk with us in. He will give us the wisdom. It tells us in scripture, all we have to do is go to him and ask for that wisdom. The wisdom to be able to apply his truths and promises in a way that will bring him glory. So first and foremost, we need a changed heart. Point B on your outline, we also need a hungry heart. 
And we have to develop an appetite for righteousness and truth. Understanding that God's word is our spiritual food. It's what sustains our spiritual health. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter five, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Again, looking back at that primary scripture out of Hebrews that we're using for this series, it states that God rewards those who diligently seek after him. It doesn't say that he rewards those who casually snack after him or those who occasionally take a bite or even those who only eat on Sunday mornings. But instead, it says that he will reward those who have a hunger and a thirst that causes them to pursue him, to press into him, to experience his fullness and to be satisfied in him. God's word can and will become our, our really our ultimate feast. Uh, and the hungry heart pursues that. We understand that his word is the fuel that sustains our spiritual life. But we, knew, we do need to be aware. Uh, we do have an enemy that would do anything and everything that he can uh, to keep us from God's word, to keep us from applying God's word, to keep us from reading God's word. Our flesh doesn't help in that a lot of times also. We resist that at times. And I had a mentor early in my Christian walk tell me this. He says, Doug, you have to hustle your own spiritual groceries. And what he meant by that is he explained it. He says, you can't depend upon anybody else to feed you. You need to feed yourself with God's word. You need to learn God's truths and promises. You can't depend on a weekly teaching or an occasional glance at the Bible. You need to hustle your spiritual groceries. And what he was talking about there is he was talking about diligently pursuing God and God's truths and promises so that we could apply them correctly into our lives. The third thing that we need is, uh, point C in your outline, is a humble heart. And as our spiritual appetite grows, as we continue uh, to digest God's truths and promises, his commandments, our willingness to obey them must also increase. A humble heart is a heart that submits to the principles and the truths that we see revealed in God's word. And this is vital, that humility to submit to that is vital in our lives. It tells us in Micah, uh, an Old Testament package in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Humility demonstrated by obedience to God's truth is very pleasing to the Lord. And it's a demonstration that your new nature and your new heart has understood and taken in the richness and the sustainability of God's word. And it's worked its way out in God honoring application. So we need a changed heart and we need a hungry heart and we need a humble heart. Uh, point two in your outline moves along and it says, being a doer of the word, being a doer of the word requires. And that's out of James chapter one, where James talks about being a doer and not just a listener. And he, he gives several illustrations there in, in James about that. And he goes on to say, don't deceive yourself by just listening or reading the word and not applying it. Don't deceive yourself. That's not what works. That's not what God has called, it, called us to in this life. So again, God speaks to us through his word. I believe that's the primary way that God speaks to his people is through his word. But we are required 
if we desire to please the Lord, we are required to listen attentively, to listen very carefully, then to respond boldly to what we've heard. And when we do that, God can do amazing things uh, as we listen to his voice and as we uh, make the determination to move forward boldly with an expectation to not only hear from him, but to obey the things that he has to say to us. So that's being a doer of the word. And the first thing that being a doer of the word requires is faith. And what, what I mean by that is faith of taking God at his word. And that's a challenge sometimes as um, God's truths and promises often fly in the face of worldly wi wisdom. And it certainly flies in the face of our cultural thinking of today. And so rather than trying to defend God, have you ever thought about the futility of trying to defend the creator of the universe, to defend the all-knowing, all-powerful uh, God? We don't need to defend God. Instead, what we need to do is allow his living, active word to speak for itself. We're called to believe it, to take him at his word. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We can please him by demonstrating our faith, by taking him at his word, by believing that what he says are, is true. His truths are real. His promises are sure and steadfast. We should expect him to show up and to prove himself strong when we choose to walk in obedience and apply truth in our life. So that's the first, first thing, A. Point B on your outline is being a doer of the word requires obedience. It requires obeying his commandments. And as we spend time in his word, what we need to do is we need to look for those, really those timeless core principles that express God's will. Uh, God's commandments, and we need to make a decision of the will to walk in obedience to those things. I believe that that's, uh, in Jesus' words, he says the very thing that identifies our love for him in John 14, 15, where he says, if you love me, if you love me, this is the definition of love, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, Listen carefully to what I'm gonna say now. If I never learned another truth from God's word, I don't have enough time left in my lifetime to, come, to become fully obedient to the things I already know are his will for me. And I know many of you might say, well, that's because you're old, Doug, but no. I don't have enough time in my life to ever apply everything fully that I already know that is his will for me. And not that I would ever stop pursuing him in his word, that's not the point, but I'm always amazed at people um, I talk to that say, you know, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. And my response generally is, and I try to weed out the sarcasm in this response, but I usually say this, get busy doing the things that you already know that is God's will for you, and he'll clearly show you the rest, and I believe that to be true. So again, point C in your outline, being a doer of the word requires teachability, a teachable heart, learning from the examples that we find in his word. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages 
has come. The Bible is replete with stories representing all aspects of human nature, kind of like the old Western, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're all there. And Paul tells us they're all there so that we would learn from them. And of course, we're encouraged to learn the good things and to stay away from the bad things. Uh, a quick uh, rabbit trail maybe. Uh, I had a friend at one time who, um, who was a professed Christian who left his wife and uh, had a girlfriend and was planning on marrying her. And he used King David as an example saying, well, he was called a man after God's own heart and I'm doing nothing different than he did. Uh, talk about looking at the wrong thing to emulate. That's the wrong thing to emulate. And, and uh, uh, again, you have to look at the context. And, and I believe my explanation was something along the line of, hey, you know, uh, yeah, God forgave David, but his life was screwed up with consequences from that day forward because of his sin. That's not the kind of thing that we are to copy or to emulate as we learn from scripture. And we know that we're all flawed vessels and that, that God is faithful and full of grace to forgive us. He longs to teach us what we need to know to walk with him and to be a useful vessel for his kingdom. D on your outline is being a doer of the word requires personal application, personal application of his promises. So we have to be able to personally apply the things that we read in Scripture. And there's many promises that we have in God's Word. Some of those promises are unconditional. And unconditional promises are, are things that, that just mean that God will do all the work and nothing is required from us other than being in relationship with Him. But other promises are, are conditional, meaning that if we do what God says, He will bless us. And on the other hand, if we don't do what He says, He won't bless us in that particular thing. So personalizing his promises to us is understanding his truths and promises in context and then demonstrating by our actions uh, and demonstrating by a willingness to abide in the conditions and the requirements that he's called us to. That's personalizing his promises. In the book of Joshua chapter one, verse eight, God gives a very glorious personal promise to Joshua. It's a promise that we can lay hold of also, but that he was speaking to Joshua. And just to fill in the little bit of the story before we look at that scripture, um, Joshua was at the, uh, uh, getting ready to cross the river Jordan. God flat out said, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, Moses is dead. You're the new leader of the several million rebellious people that have just spent 40 years in the desert. We're getting ready to cross over into the promised land to possess the promise that I've given you. And so God gives Joshua this promise and charge. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Make sure you see those words that said, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That's the application. He said you should have God's word in your heart, you should meditate on it, you should think about it 24 seven, and you better be really careful to do everything that's written in it. Then I will make your way prosperous, then I will give you good success. God loves his church, he loves his people, but our relationship with him is personal. Each one of us by God's design has been given uh, or has a specific plan and purpose in this world. And as we interact with his word, 
as we seek his truths and the application of those truths, he wants to take our changed, hungry, and humble hearts. And he wants us to, to believe him. He wants us to exercise our faith and obey him. He wants us to learn from those who have gone before us. And even those who are around, who are around us today uh, that are walking rightly with him. He wants us to learn those things and to do those things with him. It's a personal uh, application of truth that works its way out in a God-honoring way. Point three on your outline and the final point. Everyday faith requires intentionality in his word. Everyday faith requires intentionality in his word. Reading his word, meditating on his word, memorizing his word, talking about his word, and living out his word as we appropriate truth we apply truth and we demonstrate the genuineness of our relationship with him by our actions. Again, as uh, John calls it in 1 John, practicing righteousness, practicing those disciplines, those decisions of the will, those life choices, those things are what identify us as a Christ follower. And those things are what everyday faith is all about. Again, we saw this quote earlier, our life as a Christ follower must be defined with a bias towards action. Action in rightly applying God's truths and promises. And again, I'm gonna reread an earlier quote also. God's word, his truths and promises are the guardrails and the compass that point to the destination. The destination, the goal is Christ-likeness. The journey in life is transformation through the application of God's truths and promises that we would be changed into the image of Christ, that his life would be manifest in us and through us that we might bring him glory in this world. And I wanna to end today with a, a, a conditional promise that Jesus gives us. And, and we talked earlier about conditional promises. And this is out of John 13, 17. And I want to challenge you in this. And this is what it says. If you know these things, and I'm going to flush that out a little bit, paraphrase a little bit. Uh, if you know these things, if you know my truths and promises, if you read, have read my truths and promises, if my truths and promises are in you, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them if you apply them, if you walk in them. So everyday faith, everyday faith, that's uh, really a revelation of, of God's heart towards us. Uh, his desire is that we would seek him daily, that we would worship him daily, that we would spend time in his word daily, um, that we would allow him to be glorified through us as he continues to fill us and to empower us by his spirit so that we can demonstrate his love to a lost and a confused and a hurting world. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are thankful that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that you have given us your word that is filled with your story, that is filled with truths and promises. Father, thank you that, that we have that at our very fingertips that we can seek you each day in your word. And Father, we thank you that you've promised to speak to us through your word. And Father, you've also uh, equipped us as your children to be able to, 
to apply those things that we read in your word. Father, I know your desire is that each one of us would be used in a way that you can only use us. So Father, we submit and surrender to you. Father, ask first and foremost that you would forgive us for the times that we've fallen short in those areas, Father. Father, help us to hear from you clearly, to be able to remove anything and everything from our life that would prevent hearing from you, that would prevent us from uh, applying truth, that would prevent us from being the witness that you've called us to be in this world. So Father, again, we thank you. You are good and you are faithful. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you join us next week when we're going to look at uh, the fourth and I believe final in this Everyday Faith series, and it'll be called Witness.